morning everyone. A sunny, crisp morning. The uh, Dharma talk I'd like to give today is on um, the first koan that we usually have in koan practice. Uh, Joshu's dog, or the question being, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? And some of the background to this is that um, actually there was a, uh, a monk who asked Joshu, who was one of the, the great Chinese Zen teachers, I think about 7th or 8th century, um, a monk asked him, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? And Joshu said, yes, it does. And if you follow the logic of it, all beings by nature are Buddha. The dog is a being, so therefore the dog has Buddha nature. Yes, it has Buddha nature. And then on another occasion, another monk asked the same question, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? And Joshu answered, no, it doesn't, or it does not have it. So we have um, the two responses, but as a koan, we take up the second one. Does a dog have Buddha nature or not? No. And the Chinese word for no or does not have is mu. The word for yes is u, like the letter u, and the negative is mu. And so um, one of the first koans we usually take up in koan practice in Zen is working with mu. So for those of you who may not be familiar with it, um, you keep mu to your out-breath. Um, it's not a mantra, it's a point of inquiry. But you key mu to your out-breath and it's an inquiry. What is mu? You sit with that question and you, you absorb your whole being into mu. And uh, then you come before a teacher in Daisan who will ask you, what is mu? And you respond or you don't respond or you give a presentation. And either he or she is happy with your presentation and you move on to another koan, or he or she rings the bell and you go out and keep working on it. Sometimes for a year, sometimes five years, sometimes 30 years. But the process um, is at work, whether you pass it quickly or you don't. A little bit of background about koans. Um, the word is generally um, translated as ko and an, meaning public case. It's like a, it's a, a baseline for insight and it's a way of testing other, other insights that other people have, just like a, you have a law case, which is a, a public case, and you test other cases against it. Um, so that's one meaning of it. Another meaning of it, or translation by Yamada Roshi, who is Robert Aitken's teacher, is that ko means universal and an means particular. So it's, it's a presentation of the, the universal and the particular, or the absolute and the relative, all in one component. But a simpler way of putting it, as Robert Aitken used to describe it, is a koan is a matter to be made clear. And we have koans and we have matters to be made clear because um, as Zen students we're not clear about our life. 
and what it's about and who we are. So it's a way of cultivating insight. And as you're um, familiar with me saying with previous Zen talks, probably ad nauseum, but Dharma practice is made up of three components. Insight, which is an insight into the nature of no self. And meditation, or the practice of serenity, or calming the mind. And the third part is um, to live a life of non-harming, according to the precepts. The whole three together make up the practice. So, um, and what it's familiar, what it's similar to in our in Western culture. Um, some of you may be familiar with the book *The Cloud of Unknowing*, which is a medieval Christian text. And in that text, in terms of describing how to do contemplative prayer, it says, "Clothe." your naked intent in the sound of a single word of a single syllable which could be a word like God so just keep repeating the word God on your breath so whether it's Mu or God or even the word One as Kabori Roshi my first teacher gave as a variation doesn't matter what the word is there's something um, very um, healing and powerful in taking your intent of um, trying to become clearer about what your life is about and absorbing it into one word that you can hold in meditation over and over again. So you become single-pointed and everything is given into that word, given over to that word, surrendered into that word. So many people across very different cultures um, have came up, come up with the same method. So what's Joshu's game here? Mm-hmm. On one occasion he says, yes, the dog has Buddha nature. And on another occasion he says, no, the dog doesn't have Buddha nature. Mm-hmm. What he's done is that he's taken an innocent question, just an innocent question of curiosity by this young monk and turn it into a method to get the monk but also us to drive deeper into understanding what our life is about. But in its simplest sense, Yamada Roshi said um, that really the point of the koan is to see that the dog is just happy being a dog and doing doggy things. Mm -hmm. But then here comes the rub. Can you and I, as a different type of mammal, dogs are mammals, we're mammals, we've got bigger brains, a bigger prefrontal cortex, if that's the only difference in our brain, can we as human beings just be happy being a human being mm-hmm. in an uncomplicated kind of way mm-hmm. and just enjoy being a human being. Mm-hmm. Can you just enjoy being a human being when you're not getting what you want? Mm-hmm. 
um, can you enjoy being a human being if you haven't yet met the, um, your soulmate or the girl or the boy of your dreams? Mm -hmm. Can you be happy being a human being if you haven't got the best job in the world? just be a human being without comparing yourself to others and basing your self-esteem on whether you, where you sit in terms of social status. Mm -hmm. um, these are all the things that come with human, being a human being. We're blessed with a bigger prefrontal cortex <coughs> and like the dog we think more mm -hmm. and we can do wonderful things with our prefrontal cortex. And we can do terrible things with our prefrontal cortex. Uh -huh. We can analyse things and we can get more meaning out of life perhaps and so on. Um, but we can use it in the most um, unuseful ways that create so much suffering for ourselves. And one of the ways we do that is through constant comparisons. And it's also the nature of the human being that we're very inquisitive and curious and we're always trying to work out what life is about. And we have, we create projects for ourselves to try and work out what it's about. The assumption being that something is missing. But there's something missing. Maybe that's the thing that we miss. And so even as Zen students, we ask ourselves questions like, do I have Buddha nature or not? Does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Will I become enlightened in this lifetime? Mm -hmm. And from a Zen perspective, they're all kind of unnecessary, complicated questions and vanities. The dog doesn't ask those kind of questions dog is just happy to be fed, get a pat, throw the ball for them. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting we should be like dogs. Our human nature is that we do have a, big, a bigger prefrontal cortex. We do think more. So that's part of what it is to be a human being. But do we use all of that thinking in a constructive way or a destructive way to ourselves and others? The history of human beings if you're, if you're interested in history, um, that the latter is usually what often happens. We use it in a destructive way. So, if we take up the practice of moon, or one, doesn't matter what the word is, or like a medieval Christian monk, we take up the practice of the repetition of the word of God and become absorbed in it. What actually happens? What's the process? Mm -hmm. To put it in philosophical language, we go from um, a very dualistic way in the way that we think in terms of right and wrong and better and worse. Mm -hmm. 
prettier, uglier, smarter, dumber, all of those kind of things, all those kind of descriptions, we go from a dualistic way of being with life to a non-dualistic way. And in simple language, a non-dualistic way is simply life as it is. As we say in our um, practice principles. One way of understanding this koan is that the monk is projecting himself into the dog. He's saying, does a dog have Buddha nature? But really the core question underneath it is, do I have Buddha nature or not? Presumably the Buddha does, and presumably my teacher Joshi does, but do I have it? Just questioning, 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 questioning that comes up. And human beings so frequently, as I said before, we, we live our lives as though something is missing. That something's not quite right and we've got to find the answer or we've got to find the solution and then everything will be okay. So, so many people throughout history with religion and philosophy, whatever it is, are actually living their life that way. Mm-hmm. Um, as though this present moment that we have right now is not quite enough. Instead of just being with what is, we're searching for something else all of the time mm-hmm. that's going to bring happiness or well-being. <clears throat> and through this process, where you just absorbing everything into Mu, which is, as you can see, it's a non-intellectual kind of process. It's just Mu, just one, just God. It's not theology, either Buddhist theology or Christian theology, just Mu. Um, As you do that, and you're sort of cutting off the intellect um, all of the time, instead of entertaining intellectual doubt all of the time, is it's not as though the medieval monk, by doing that, by, in, by doing that, he then finds God. That's not kind of really how it works. Um, in the Christian sense, God's been knocking on his door all the time. It's just that the monk didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. Once he absorbed himself in Mu and cut off all of this searching for something else, then something falls away and God knocks on his door. Mm-hmm. And the same with the Zen monk. You know, the Zen monk's searching for enlightenment. Mm-hmm. The Zen monk doesn't find enlightenment. Enlightenment finds the Zen monk. Mm-hmm. And for us, in our everyday lay life, life is knocking on the door all the time. Sound of the traffic sunshine coming in, trees, carpet. Mm -hmm. Here all of the time, presenting itself to us all the time. Here I am, here I am, here I am. And we we miss it. We're looking for something else, something that we think is deeper or more meaningful or whatever. So enlightenment finds us. Mm -hmm. Um, Tara Brack. And if you know, I've never read any of Tara Brack's books, um, 
but she's a very popular Buddhist teacher and therapist. But one of the titles of her books is called Radical Acceptance. And that's a good description about what happened through the practice of Zen generally, um, but through the practice of taking up Mu as a car. You practice with it over and over and over again, and at some point you come to a very, very uh, radical acceptance of who you are and of life. Mm -hmm. And even to say that an acceptance is really not really right either. Um, because there's nothing wrong with us in the first place that we have to heal and come to a place of acceptance over. Mm -hmm. just, it just is. Um, a realisation experience in Zen is, in a sense, it, it is a sense of very deep acceptance in, a, in, a, in a, either a momentary sense or an ongoing sense. But it's not like an act of, oh, now I've come to accept myself, now I'm okay. It's kind of like it's more like there wasn't anything wrong in the first place. It's the acceptance that comes from that insight, mm -hmm. not that something was healed. There's a, there's a saying in Zen, or a metaphor in Zen, that Zen practices like gouging a wound in healthy flesh. It's making a great, great fuss about nothing when there's really no, no problem in the first place. But we create a problem through all of this dualistic thinking. So the poem at the end of this koan is, it's a wonderful poem, and it really sums up Zen practice. Dog, Buddha nature, the perfect presentation of the whole, with a little bit of has or has not. Body is lost, life is lost. You're caught up in thinking that you have Buddha nature or you don't have Buddha nature, you're still entangled in the world of dualism. Mm -hmm. There's a way of responding to these questions mm -hmm. um, in Daisan and Takaans. And often um, this type of Zen practice is referred to as Dharma show and tell. You either show something or you tell something. And a lot of it is very, very funny. When we see through our own egocentricity in the game that it plays out, it's all very, very funny. So, you don't have to respond to it now, but I'll end with asking the question, what is moot?